This is Grace Talks, a production of Simpson United Methodist Church in Bangor, Michigan. Scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Philippians, first chapter, verses 3 through 11. And it reads, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I will always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. Well, hello again. You remember me, I hope. Ebenezer Scrooge, moneylender, banker, oft-described miser. A man who once took advantage of the poor and the needy, who lived a life that was perhaps unknowingly miserable and unexamined. But all that changed one fateful night when hour by hour three spirits came into my life to take me on a journey through both my own life and the lives of those I influenced. I believe last week I gave you a story of how it is that I found myself in this predicament of how it is that my old friend and, well, partner arrived in my home seven years dead to warn me of the spirits and what they had in store for me. Well, if you've heard this story before, when the bell rung one, what came to me first in the night was a spirit who called themselves the ghost of Christmas past. It was strange, like a child, and yet so much not like a child as like an old man looking as though he'd both passed from view and remained diminished to a child's proportions. Its long hair was white as if with age, but its face didn't have a wrinkle on it. It wore a tunic of purest white and a lustrous belt hung around its waist. But perhaps strangest of all was that from its head a light sprung forth which glittered and sparkled and from the belt came a vision that almost caused the entire spirit's form to change moment by moment. It wore a high cap 
that seemed could hide at least some of its light. But when I asked the spirit to cover this light up, it seemed shocked. Would you so soon put out the light I give, it asked. Is it not enough that you are one of those whose passions made this cap and forced me to wear it low upon my brow? Was I frightened, you might ask. But wouldn't you be? A ghost? Not just a ghost, but a ghost of my past? And here for my welfare and and reclamation? Here to oversee my redemption, as it turned out. And so the spirit offered me a journey, hand outstretched, seeking to carry me out to the window and into the night. With a mere touch of its hand, I was in my old school grounds. Why, I was out in the country with snow on the ground, no less, much different than the city where soot so often fell. Suddenly, so much came back to me, sounds and sights and smells long past a roadway that I could walk blindfolded. I saw friends and classmates, and I found myself naming them off one by one for the first time in years untold. My heart was leaping and tears came to my eyes. But when I tried to speak to these I was told that they were but shadows, shadows of things that have been with no consciousness of us. Why, it seemed as though we were nothing more than ghosts to the ghost, shadows to the shadows, and so perhaps like the spirits I'd seen the night, the night before, climbing, clamoring about and trying to do in life what they couldn't do in death, I was nothing more than a phantom here, clinging to these glimpses of life, and yet unable to intervene. But still I have to ask the question, what was a Merry Christmas to me? What good had it ever done me? Though these young boys were leaving the school and journeying home for their Christmas break, I was left alone. I was the solitary child left and neglected by friends. And so the spirit guided me into the building, and it had a certain brokenness about it, dreary and cold, and there I saw myself, a lonely boy, reading near a feeble fire, and I saw, as I saw him, tears came to my eyes once more. But this vision hovered only for a moment, and soon it shifted, and I found myself in the same classroom, only this time a few years older and perhaps a few years wiser, if not more bitter. I can't tell upon reflection. Much like my own emotional state, the building reflected a similar decay. The windows cracked, the plaster worn, summer after summer, Christmas after Christmas. I stayed while my friends went home. And my feelings only ever seemed to grow more dour. But here came a surprise, one I remember all too well, my sister, my darling sister, coming and gathering me and taking me home. She was younger than me, and she carried all the feelings of youth that I had lost. The scene 
as joyful as it was, only reminded me of my father's rage and my father's cruelty. It served to remind me of my own sister's slip from this world. Yet, here she was a child, but she had died a woman. She left a lone child behind, alone, my nephew. And suddenly I remembered how I treated the poor boy. How neglected I had left him, my only family, and a feeling of shame washed over me. But soon enough, this image passed away as well. Soon we, we stood in the midst of a city with carts and coaches battling each other for their way wherever they were going, and I saw myself standing at the business I had once apprenticed in, and there was old Fezziwig, alive and well. And why, once again, it was Christmas, together with me and Dick, and we set the place up. And soon the hall was filled with guests of Fezziwig, employees and friends, dancing and making merry, and my heart was filled by the merriment that I saw in the faces of others and friends long gone. But here, rather than let me celebrate, the spirit sought to shame me. A small matter to make these silly folks so grateful, the spirit said. My own words said earlier that day reflected back to me. I felt ashamed, and so I offered the spirit a word I had perhaps needed to have been told to me only yesterday. He has the power to render us happy or unhappy, to make our service light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. Fezziwig, it seemed, could alter how it was that we saw and experienced the world. It isn't that all of our lots. Don't we all have the ability to influence how others see the world? I found myself thinking now of Bob Cratchit and how miserable I left his life when a simple act could change it significantly. And soon I saw just how much influence I really had for the next scene that came to me showed me sitting side by side with a fair young girl in a morning dress. Her eyes were full of tears and I felt a sense of sadness and sorrow once again. It matters little, she said. Another idol has displaced me, a golden one. She spoke, of course, of my pursuits of money, my pursuits of wealth. I heard myself utter those words that I remember all too well, and I found myself mouthing along with them. That is the even-handed dealing of the world. There's nothing on which it is so hard as poverty, and there's nothing it professes to condemn with such severity as the pursuit of wealth. Suddenly I recalled the stark contrast that I had experienced, a youth full of isolation and want and poverty and an adolescent apprenticeship filled with noise and wealth. I tasted comfort, I tasted excess, and after a life isolated and abused, I wanted more. But this want consumed me. Consumed me to the point of pushing away my own betrothed. 
Our contract is an old one, she said. Made when we were both young and poor and content to be so, but you are changed. When we made this arrangement, you were another man, and so would you seek me out today and try to win me? If it was changed. She saw me for who I was. She recognized that my love for her had been eclipsed by my love of what I'd set out to find comfort for the pair of us, comfort for us that had transformed into purely comfort for me. Comfort that could never be found because the trap of wealth that I had fallen into was a trap that could never be filled. I could never have enough. I could never have enough to feel comfortable. I could never have enough to feel secure. And so one last time the vision changed and the spirit had one last thing to show me and this time what I saw was a scene of a past that was not my own but hers. There she sat opposite her daughter. the woman I was once betrothed to. And she was surrounded by what seemed like 40 children, uproarious beyond belief, and yet no one seemed to care. And soon her husband walked in, a man, a man I might have been. What a cruel twist of fate this was. A cruel scene to show me, because this could have been mine. And suddenly I realized what I'd lost, what I'd allowed myself to lose, what the world had torn away from me, but the spirit wouldn't take the blame. These were shadows of the past, things that have been, that they are what they are, do not blame me. And I begged the spirit to take me back and to take the visions away, but it wouldn't leave. And so I struggled and I wrestled with the spirit until finally I took the cap and I pressed it down on its head in an attempt to hide that terrible light. But try as I might, the light would not fade, and it was only when blessed sleep found me that the scene faded and I fell once more into my bed. As I noted last week, A Christmas Carol is a book deeply influenced by a Christian faith. It's a book that seeks to see the world through a lens of goodness, even as, it even, even as it gazes upon the worst things we do to one another and what the world does to us. In stave two, the ghost of Christmas past, we're given an account of Scrooge's visions of the past, and the visions seem to serve a twofold purpose. On one hand, it provides us, the audience, an insight into what it is that has made Scrooge the man he is, and on the other, it provides us some insight into how the world made him who he was and how perhaps he could have escaped the trap he found himself in.
And so with the help of this strange spirit, Scrooge begins to witness the events of his life pass before his eyes, and bit by bit, we, the audience, are offered a bit of Scrooge's life and Scrooge's story. But we see all this in a revelatory manner, meaning through Scrooge, we get to literally see the past. And the source of this vision of the past is this strange spirit. And the description of this spirit is, well, it lasts a few paragraphs. It's described as both old and young, as both hard to see and yet violently visible with a bright jet of light coming from its head. The spirit wore a tunic, and around its waist there was a belt that emanated almost the effects of a prism. And what that prism seemed to do was it changed the effect of the spirit. One moment the spirit would have 20 arms or legs, and the next it would have none. Moment to moment, depending on where Scrooge would stand in relation to the spirit, the spirit would seem to shift and change. And the significance of this is in the appearance of the spirit and how it is that we ourselves experience the past. We view the past both as we are now, but also in the form of the memory of who we were then. When we think back to our past, we are at once young and old. And we see the past through a reflected mirror, hence this prism-like appearance that the spirit is described as having, shifting from one moment to the next with more or less limbs depending on the moment. And when we remember the past ourselves, we find that it is always shifting and always changing because our memories are imperfect. Finally, the light. From the spirit's head comes this great light, and that's what the past can be, should we let it. The past can be this great light that can illuminate a great many things about who we are and why we are the way we are and why we make the choices that we make and why others make the choices that may, they make. As long as we look at the past with seeing eyes, we can understand the world we live in better. But as the Spirit says, the people of the world tend to force this spirit of the past to wear the cap low upon its head as if to cut out on that light and in turn cut off the lessons that could be learned, favoring instead the path left unexamined. Favoring instead this sort of eternal now and the question we have to ask is how many of the problems that we face today could we find solutions to if we were to just stare into the light of the past and see the links and how it is they've carried us to this moment. There's that old saying that says if we forget the past we're doomed to repeat it and this is what this is getting at. If we keep the cap of the spirit of the past, so to speak, low on its head, then we're apt to repeat that past over and over again. 
But should we be willing to look at the past? Should we, should we be willing to stare into the light that comes from the spirit of the past? We find that we are able to learn a great deal about the world and about our own role in the world and our own abilities in the world. And this is what we see through the eyes of Ebenezer Scrooge as the spirit of the past guides him to see Scrooge's beginnings as a child, neglected, abandoned, and alone with nothing but the visions of characters of his favorite books and stories keeping him company. We see Scrooge later as a young man brought home by his loving sister to a father who was once abusive but is now reformed and loving. We see Scrooge, a little bit older now even, celebrating a Christmas with his old master, old Fezziwig, being reminded of the joy that he once felt at Christmas. However, this scene in particular offers us, the audience, what I think is perhaps the best insight into why Scrooge became the man he would be. Scrooge, in the presence of Fezziwig, saw a life that he missed out on. In the presence of Fezziwigs, Scrooge saw a life of wealth and privilege and excess, something that he had perhaps been exposed to in some manner as a, ch of a, ch as a child as his father could afford to send him to boarding school and yet something he never really experienced until now. And so here, I believe we have the point at which Scrooge begin, be, begins to become the man he becomes. He tastes the good life and he wants more. But Scrooge, it seems, took the, long, took the wrong lesson from Fizzywig. Rather than seeing the joy that Fizzywig was able to offer through giving, himself, through giving of himself, Scrooge only saw the, accum the accumulation of wealth. And it forged in him a desire and a want for more. In his time with Fezziwig, Scrooge finds both the potential love of his life and the beginnings of the path towards another love that would overtake her. But what he finds is that he can't have both. He can't both love the woman of his life and the thing that he wants. As Christ says in, Ma in Matthew chapter 6, you cannot serve two masters. Scrooge cannot serve both the love of his life and the love of money because the love of money takes over. Something that is hammered home when the Spirit shows him the fate of his betrothed and what we see is that she would go on to find happiness. Some years after they broke off their engagement, she is seen surrounded by children and living a life that is by all appearances happy. It's a life that Scrooge could have taken hold of had he not fallen down the path that he finds himself on. And so step by step, we get closer to the man Scrooge is at the beginning of the story. And the question that we have to wonder 
begins with, could he escape the fate he finds himself in? Perhaps. But it seems as though much of what made Scrooge Scrooge existed outside of himself, and in many ways it would seem that he is a product of his circumstances, as well as an active participant. But that doesn't mean he's condemned to a will that's not his own. If his past and his childhood of trauma and isolation and loneliness could go on to make him who he was, could this night showing him past, present, and future bring him into something better? Can Scrooge be reborn? Can Scrooge find redemption? Can he find a new opportunity for life? And again, it would seem the answer to that question comes to us in the weeks to come, but now, for now at least, this chapter leaves us reflecting on the peace that is in the works. Peace, after all, is the theme of this week's Advent candle. And the peace that we see here is the peace that is seeking to find a foothold in Scrooge's life. Peace is the theme of the second Advent candle, and it is that peace that has the ability to make Scrooge a new person and to deliver him from the path of isolation, and in the same way has the ability to transform us. Peace, after all, is not just quiet simplicity. Peace is wholeness. Peace is justice. Peace is shalom. To find peace is to see the moneylenders turn out the debt and to live out that line in the Lord's Prayer saying, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And to risk spoiling the ending of the story, it is that very justice, it is that very peace that transforms Scrooge into the man he ends the book as. For in the end, Scrooge becomes a man who is whole, a man who forgives debts, and a man who gives freely, sharing of himself and acts of charity and mutual aid alike towards both friends and family and acquaintances. And so again, I hope that we can use this story as an example. I hope that we may find it a means of grace as we prepare our hearts for the indwelling of the Spirit. As we prepare ourselves for the arrival of the Word in the world, as we continue to wait and watch and hope for the peace that comes with the living God. the peace of God with us, the peace that is Emmanuel. Amen.